Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Bioprocess Insider Expression Platform, the podcast that accompanies my publication, Bioprocess Insider. I am uh, your host and editor, Dan Stanton, and this week I am bringing you yet another snippet from the Bio Convention uh, last month in June 2020 uh, down in San Diego. If you weren't there, you missed a great event, the first bio since 2019 because of the pandemic. And I was there hosting a series of interviews and panel discussions at the Bioprocess International Theatre. So in this episode, I am speaking to Brian Finrow, the co-founder and CEO of Lumen Biosciences. Lumen Biosciences is a biotech looking to unlock the full potential of biologic drugs, um, whose promise has been held back by the lack of scalable technology. The firm is developing oral antibodies using its platform based on spirulina. Spirulina, as you may know, is the protein-rich cyanobacteria touted by many health enthusiasts as a superfood. The substance is used to create tiny factories that churn out therapeutic antibodies. So with that, um, as always, feel free to contact me at dan.stanton at informa.com, I-N-F-O-R-M-A. Uh, but apart from that, sit back, relax, and listen to Brian Finrow. Um, so let's start with that spirulina-based platform. Um, in layman's terms, what is it and how does it work? Uh, well, so you can tell a history of the biotechnology industry that uh, takes as a jumping-off point the observation that every big breakthrough in some kind of cell engineering uh, has opened the door to a bunch of new products. So the very first, of course, was E. coli, right? That led to Genentech and the, actually the birth of the biotech industry. Um, the second was Chinese hamster ovary cells or mammalian cell engineering that allowed us to make monoclonal antibodies. Uh, more recently, it would be yeast. Yeast was um, figured out in the 90s, right? Uh, the Hall patents at the University of Washington were in Seattle, so we know the story well. Uh, and that opened the door to the scalable manufacturing of a whole bunch of um, industrial enzymes and other things. So uh, spirulina is another microbe, uh, and like these other ones, uh, there are some unique attributes of this microbe. It allows us to do some things that people couldn't do before. Uh, and in certain cases, things that people have wanted to do for a long time, the products we have in our pipeline today, but could not, for various technical reasons or economic reasons, couldn't scalably manufacture or deliver safely using those older platforms. So in a nutshell, it's just another type of cell that makes a particularly useful category of novel biologic products. And are you the only company that's working on developing this, this cell line for um, biomanufacturing? Uh, we are the only ones authorized to make it under our issued patents, in the US anyway. So yeah, I think so far, yes, we're the only ones. So, so tell me, Brian, um, what are the advantages of, of, of spirulina over some of the other well-used and well-proven um, biological drug-making systems that you mentioned before, E. coli, uh, Cho, and, and the likes? What, what, what advantages does your system have? Yeah, the big ones are those three, really. Um, safety uh, for certain applications, 
but more importantly, scalability and cost. Uh, so it's not that it's better than, is, you know, is Cho better than E. coli? Well, I mean, it depends on what you're making. If you're making insulin, E. coli is probably still winner. Uh, Cho is better if you're making a monoclonal antibody. For the classes of uh, biologic targets we're going after, the spirulina is just much preferable. These, these are, and I was going to move on to your pipeline, um, you're, you're focusing on diseases including C. difficile infection, norovirus and traveler's diarrhea, mm -hmm. um, as well as COVID-related GI issues. Mm -hmm. And as you say with your platform, is, is it specifically suited to gastro-related issues? Um, uh, and yeah. if so, why? Oh. Uh, it's particularly well-suited. Um, so spirulina is a, is a food. You know, so you can buy it in the grocery store. Actually, I saw someone walking around with a green juice earlier. Uh, so it's, it's safe to eat. And of course, antibodies are safe to eat. Anybody that had cream in their coffee this morning ate some antibodies. Uh, so what we do is quite simply, we put the safe protein into a safe food uh, and you can just eat the whole thing. And that saves you, of course, probably 60, 70% of the biomanufacturing cost just in that one simple step because you can eat the whole gamish. Device bypasses any need for uh, downstream purification. I, I, you sort of nodded when I said gastro-related um, mm. uh, issues, but I, I think I heard you say, sort of say not only gastro-related issues. So um, where else could the could, where else could your platform be uh, applied to? What other sorts of um, diseases? Uh, yeah. So the only way you wouldn't want to administer one of our products is by injection. Uh, so that leaves every, pretty much every other surface of the body uh, within, you know, fair game. Uh, the GI tract is particularly easy because it's a food uh, and because there are so many uh, dramatic unmet medical needs. C. difficile infection is just the most obvious of these, but in inflammatory bowel disease, cardiometabolic disease, we have a collaboration with Novo Nordisk and cardiometabolic disease. Uh, all of these things are uh, uniquely addressable with biologics or protein therapeutics of different classes delivered topically to the inside of the GI tract. We don't typically think about that as being a topical surface, but of course to the human immune system, that is the outside world and is full of uh, all kinds of crazy proteins and not only that, but your microbiome, bacteria, phage, all kinds of crazy stuff down in there. Uh, so in addition to the GI tract though, uh, other obvious applications are uh, intranasally, uh, pulmonary, and the skin. And um, I'm, I'm a journalist, not a scientist, so excuse my ignorance. Why, why, why could you not um, make injectables out of, uh, out of this platform? Oh, well, they make injectables out of E. coli express proteins, so certainly there's nothing, nothing that prevents us from doing the same thing. Uh, it's just that the, the cost profile of what we're able to do makes it particularly easy and rapid to do this for oral delivery. And since there's already thousands of companies working on injectable biologics, uh, we figure the best thing we can do with our unique technology is do what we're uniquely able to do, which is topically delivered biologics. Uh, let's go back to um, the, the manufacturing process and the cost of goods. Um, you, you, you spoke about the, uh, the main cost reduction being um, the, the fact it's orally mm. taken. However, the scalability to, um, uh, to, to, to uh, produce these pills, how, how, are you, how are you addressing that and how, how does that affect the overall cost? Yeah, so here's where the biology is really important. Um, if you look at a typical estimates about the breakdown and costs of a traditional injectable biologics, it's about 40% of it is upstream, so they're growing the cells that make your protein, and about 60% or so downstream, which is purifying and packaging, sterile filtration, all those things. 
Um, so because of the fact that, again, for GI applications, it's not necessary to do any of that, then the downstream cost goes to almost zero. Um, the upstream cost, uh, you have to understand that. You have to understand a little bit more about the biology. So spirulina is a cyanobacterium. It grows outdoors uh, in the commercial markets for what you can buy in the grocery store in these huge outdoor open ponds. Now, we don't grow outdoors in open ponds with birds landing on it. That's good enough for the grocery store, but we want to have a little bit more control over the environment. Uh, so we grow indoors, uh, but it doesn't need to be sterile. That's an important fact. Um, it's also, unlike with working with mammalian cells, there's no issue of cell exhaustion. Uh, these things have been dividing, uh, you know, without stopping for a couple billion years. They're not going to start now, uh, stop now just because we have engineered it. Uh, and the manufacturing process itself is much simpler than what's typically done with biologics. Um, because of uh, the, the lack of a need for sterility, we don't have to run in batch format. We can run a true continuous manufacturing. Um, and it also means we don't need to use inducible promoters or other kinds of techniques um, that cause you to have to drain everything away and uh, refill the, 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 um, the, the bioreactor with fresh media and a new inoculum. And all the net result of all of that is it takes about two orders of magnitude out of the cost per gram of pure protein equivalent, so a fair comparison, uh, from the upstream cost of manufacturing as well. And that, in turn, is what allows us to make antibodies cheap enough to eat. Uh, with all that, with the processes as you described, um, you leased what was a bakehouse in Seattle last year to convert it into a biologics plant um, for your pipeline. Um, mm -hmm. Can you give us an update how that conversion's going, whether operations are, are beginning there, or where, where, where are you at? Yeah, that's, thanks for asking. Uh, we're very proud of that, that facility. Um, it's a historic building in Seattle. Of course, doing any kind of sterile fermentation, it would be a nightmare to try to set up that operation inside a bakery, uh, especially, particularly when it was built in the 1920s and operated as a commercial bakery for, for most of 100 years. Uh, so no, it, with our system, it's very straightforward. Uh, we've completed the build-out. Uh, we're working through the commissioning process now, and that building uh, will take us from where we are today with our current facility, uh, which is three kilograms per week, drug substance under GMP to approximately 15 kilograms per week uh, GMP drug substance capacity running full out. I'm sorry, when did you say that's coming online? Uh, coming online this summer. My final question to you, Brian, is um, you've, well, we've spoken about your pipeline. Uh, you spoke about collaboration with others uh, in the industry. But are there plans to offer this spirulina-based platform um, to others as a well, you know, as a cell line provider, um, um, or are you strictly going to keep it in-house? Uh, we are looking for collaborators. Uh, we have two big pharma collaborators today, Kiorn Pharmaceuticals uh, from Japan and Nova Nordisk. Uh, we're looking for more of those. Essentially, we've matured the process uh, and the, both the discovery pipeline and the manufacturing process and the regulatory package around all those elements of the platform to the point now that's actually quite straightforward for us to launch new programs. Um, we don't have any particular advantages uh, downstream of that in the development process, which is to say uh, taking things through clinical trials and through the regulatory process, marketing and commercialization. Uh, we just uh, don't have any particular technology advantages in those areas, uh, and we're looking for partners to club together with us where we can exercise uh, the parts of our pipeline that are mature and high capacity now. Well, Brian, I look forward to hearing about those and potentially writing about those uh, future partnerships and any other developments coming out of Lumen. Um, Brian Finrow, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Oh, thank you for having me on. Okay.